Well, good morning. My name is Norton. I'm one of the pastors, and um, I wanted today tell you a uh, story, um, one of what I think the greatest stories from the Old Testament that you've never heard, um, or probably haven't heard, and that's because it's found buried in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. When's the last time you read through 2 Chronicles, right? Um, Now, uh, one one thing interesting, I I get this question a lot, why do we read stories from the Old Testament so often, or read passages from the Old Testament here so often? Um, And you have to remember, uh, because if we're followers of Jesus, don't we just focus on him and read stuff from the New Testament, which is about him? But remember, uh, Jesus himself, the Bible that he read was the Old Testament. That's the Bible that he grew up with. What he learned about God was from the Old Testament. What formed and shaped his faith, the stories that he was told about who God was and what God was like and what the world was like and what God's uh, history with his people was like and, and how he fit into that people. He learned all of that and he was formed and shaped by the stories of the Old Testament. And so we often read these stories with that in mind. Um, So let me give you some quick context for the story today. Um, In about 1000 BC, uh, Israel made Saul their first king. So he was the first king to lead the nation of Israel. He led them for about 40 years. Uh, And then David was the next king. David led for 40 years. And then Solomon, his son, was the next king, and he led for 40 years. And this time period under these three kings is often called uh, the United Kingdom or the United Monarchy because all 12 tribes of Israel were united as a nation under each of these kings. But as we read the story last week, uh, Solomon's son was named Rehoboam, and he was next in line to be king of Israel. But instead of serving the people, he told the people when they were gathered to make him king, he told them he was going to be even tougher than his dad. He was going to be harsher than his dad. He was going to raise taxes. He was going to put people to work. And consequently, the people rebelled against Rehoboam. And the ten northern tribes decided to follow his rival, a guy named Jeroboam, and they made him uh, their king, and they kept the name of Israel as their kingdom. And the two southern tribes continued to follow Rehoboam, and they became from that time on known as the kingdom of Judah. And at that point, it became a divided kingdom. And here's what the map looked like uh, during that time. Um, There's Israel in the north, and its capital at first was a little town called Shechem. We talked about it last week. And later, it would be a town uh, called Samaria. And then Judah in the south, um, still with the capital of Jerusalem, uh, where its kings led the nation of Judah. And we're going to actually follow some of the stories of those kings in the south who led the nation of Judah. So Rehoboam ruled for 17 years, and then his son Abijah ruled for only three years, and then Abijah's son Asa ruled for 41 years. And during most of this time under Rehoboam, Abijah, and Asa, um, there was a lot of war between Judah and its neighbor and brothers to the north, Israel. So war was often happening during that time. But after Asa died, his son Jehoshaphat became king over Judah. It's roughly 870 B.C. And there are a number of stories about Jehoshaphat. Some of the kings that lead in Judah, we just get a few lines about, but some of them we get multiple stories. And there's a lot of stories about Jehoshaphat. We know he was a great leader. We know he was a fearless leader. We know that he even brokered peace with Israel to the north, so that no longer became an issue. And for the most part, he was able to secure the borders 
of Judah and to keep the people safe. But there's one really important story about this guy named Jehoshaphat. And it's the story that's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And it's a unique story. And I think it's a story that can actually provide some guidance and some wisdom for each one of us. Whether you're here today and you're a new follower of Jesus, or maybe you're an old follower of Jesus, you've been following him for a long time. Maybe you're a skeptical follower of Jesus. Um, maybe you're a, I want to be a follower of Jesus, but I'm not really sure how to be a follower of Jesus. Wherever you are in your journey of faith, I actually think this story from some 3,000 years ago can become our story as well. So here's how it starts, verse 1 of chapter 20. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Munites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazan Tamar, that is, in Gedi. And then Jehoshaphat was afraid. So if we put the map back up there for a second, Jehoshaphat had brokered peace to the north, but now we're told that armies from Moab to the east... Ammon to the northeast, and then the Munites, who were actually a tribe of people that lived in the mountains of Edom, which was in the south, they had all gathered on the eastern side of the Dead Sea, that's that sea just east of Judah, and they probably made their way south around the southern side into the western side of the Dead Sea, and they had even gathered and already made it to the place called En Gedi, which was only about 15 miles from Jerusalem. And the Bible says that this fearless leader, this fearless king of Judah was afraid. He was afraid. Maybe your version translates the Hebrew word there as he was alarmed. He was scared. Another translation is he was shaken to the core. He was afraid of this news that he had heard. Have you ever been in a situation like that where you get some news or something happens in your life, something maybe you weren't expecting, and you're not sure how it's going to turn out, and you're just scared? Like you're just afraid. How is this going to go? Maybe it's at work. Maybe you hear news that there's going to be layoffs coming, or there's a new company that's taken over your company, and some new people are going to come in, and they're probably going to make changes, and you're scared you're going to be the next to go. Or maybe there's a health scare. Many of us have had that happen. Maybe it's to you where you get news, something goes wrong. Or maybe it's somebody very close to you. And maybe it's so serious that everything else in life seems not really important in this moment because you just don't know how this thing is going to turn, turn out. And you're scared. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks. Maybe it's been on the rocks for a while and finally something happens that feels like it's going to push things over the edge and you just don't know if it's going to last. Maybe there's a conflict between you and another person and you sort of danced around that conflict and you just hoped it would go away, but it's not going away and it's getting worse. And you know you're just going to have to face it. You're going to have to do something about this issue. You're going to have to have a conversation and you're going to have to deal with it, but you're scared to death that when you deal with it, you might lose the relationship. 
Things might not work out. And in all of these circumstances that we have in our lives, what drives us more than anything else is this fear, this fear that we're not in control anymore. We can't control these circumstances. We can't control the outcomes. It's, it's just not in our hands anymore, and it feels like there's other things that are controlling, and, and we can't have a say in what's going to happen. And there's nothing more paralyzing in our lives when you're in one of those situations, right, where it's not in your control, and you just feel stuck. You feel stuck because you don't know what to do. You don't know if there's anything you can do. You're just afraid of what's going to happen. And the story tells us that when this king gets word that the three armies are marching on Jerusalem and they're only 15 miles away, that he was afraid and he was scared of what was going to happen. It continues, and it says this next. It says, then Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he resolved to inquire of the Lord. And the, the, the phrase that's used there, it it's literally means he set his face to seek Yahweh. Yahweh is that word that's often translated the Lord. He set his face to seek Yahweh. So you can almost picture Jehoshaphat, and he's standing there in his palace, and he's looking out the window, and he's looking out on the plains and the hills, southeast of Jerusalem, and he can't see the armies yet. They're 15 miles away. They're far enough uh, over the horizon that he can't actually see them, but he knows any day he will be able to see them. And he could sit there and just focus on this fear, this thing that, that he can't control, this thing that might destroy him and his people, but he doesn't do that. It's almost as if he physically turns his face in a different direction. And he sets his face towards focusing on God, on Yahweh, on the Lord. He could have been standing there and looking out his window and just imagining the worst, right? Going through all the scenarios of everything bad that is about to happen. And some of us are really good at that, right? We can imagine every terrible scenario that could come of this situation. And it's almost as if Jehoshaphat decided, look, I can focus on all of those things and think about all of those things. Or I can focus on you, God. And that's the decision he made. And then what he does next is really amazing. It says this, Then Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek so Jehoshaphat doesn't keep his fears to himself, right? That, that's what you do when you're really proud, when you're really stubborn, when you don't want anyone else to know you're afraid. Guys, right? We tend to do this. We, we don't want to tell anyone else that something has rattled us. Something is shaking us. We want to keep it all inside and not tell anyone else. And yet, we have Jehoshaphat here. He's the king of Judah, and he calls all of the people together, and he basically says to them, and you'll see this in a second, he basically says, look, I am terrified of what's about to happen, and I have no idea what to do or how to respond to this. Our only hope is going to be to turn our faces to God and to seek him. And so to do that as a community, we're going to fast. 
And fasting is just this ancient practice where there's something so serious in your life or so grievous in your life that you just decide, I'm not going to even eat any food for the next day or two, and I'm going to focus on what God has in all of this. And then look at what happens next. Verse 5, it says, Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard, and he said... So he stands in front of everybody, and what he's about to do is he's going to pray this prayer. Here's the prayer he prayed. Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, So basically, he starts his prayer by just recounting the history of Israel. Hey, Lord, we've been worshiping you, and we've been following you, and you are all-powerful, and this doesn't scare you at all. And just to help you remember, aren't you the one that gave us this land to begin with? And didn't you drive out all the terrible people here before us? And so can't you deal with this right now, basically, God? He goes on, and he says this, They have lived in it. And, and he's basically talking about themselves, and built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them, and they did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession that you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I mean, talk about a powerful prayer, right? I mean, there's some history and stuff in there, but basically he ends up by saying, look, we're facing a situation and it's not in our hands. It is out of our control. And we've got armies and we've got defenses, but not big enough to face these three armies that are now converging on our city. We're not as prepared as we could have been. I don't think we can win this battle. We don't have what it takes to face this on our own. In fact, God, and I love this, we're not even sure what to do. We just don't know what to do. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever been in one of those situations, and maybe you're in one right now, where you're facing something and you just feel so stuck, it's almost like throwing up your hands, and you just want to say, I literally do not know what to do. I don't know how to face this. And you feel powerless, and you feel overwhelmed, and and you're just scared to death about what's actually going to happen because the future seems so unknown, (laughs) And maybe you're one of those people, you've hid it really well from others. You don't tell anyone else and sort of put on a good face. But if you had to be really, really honest today, you would have to say, yeah, I have no idea what to do here. And I'm scared to death. 
And if you can ever come to that place where you can actually admit that out loud and maybe even like Jehoshaphat to other people to say, I'm facing something and I'm afraid and I don't know what to do, but I don't want to keep focusing on my fears. I want to put my eyes on you, God. If you can come to that place, and I think God can do something amazing. Because look at what happens after Jehoshaphat prays this long prayer. Look at what the people actually do. Verse 13, it says, All the men of Judah, with their wives and their children and their little ones, stood there before the Lord. In this moment where Jehoshaphat comes out and he stands up before them and he confesses he has no idea what to do and he's scared. It says everyone just stands up and they just join him. Just standing there. And I love this posture of standing. In fact, this word stand shows up several times throughout the story of people just standing before God. And I love the posture because I think when we face tough situations where we're not sure what to do, we usually take one of two postures. The first posture we take is, is metaphorically sitting down or laying down, just resigning yourself to the situation. Woe is me, right? This always happens to me, and it's going to destroy me again, and I don't know what to do, and I'm just not sure what's going to happen, and there's nothing that I can even do about it. It's just this posture of resignation. I was in this posture last night as I was watching my Virginia Tech Hokies play football. I was able to make it back from the, the retreat, and I caught the last hour of the game. They had a football game, and um, it got to the end, and the other team was ahead, and we were at a pull up to the end, but everything in me was going, we're going to lose. Like we're gonna, We always lose. We never pull these games out, but we made it to overtime. And then we got into first overtime, and I was like, but we're going to lose. Like, we never win, right? Second overtime, third overtime, fourth overtime, fifth overtime, six overtimes. And in every single overtime, I'm like, we're going to miss the field goal, and we're going to lose. Like, every single, I just know it. We never win these kinds of games. This always happens to us. That's the posture and I was physically like laying on my couch. I was like, uh, you know, that's that posture. Here's the other posture we sometimes take when we face things that we're not sure how they're going to go is we charge at them. And some of you are like that. Some of you just have that, that wiring or that personality, right, where you're just going to take on everything. Like if you see something coming at you, the best way to deal with it is to run straight towards it. And your favorite story in the Bible is David and Goliath. Right, Because you read that story, and David is this little guy, and he goes down into the valley, and there's this champion of the Philistines on the other side, and he reaches down, and he picks up five stones, and it literally says he starts running across the valley of Goliath. And you're one of those kind of people, that's the story you love. And you just face things, because I can deal with this, and I have the strength, and I have the resources, and I have what it takes to deal with it. And I think there are those stories in the Bible. But I like this one too. I like this one because the people admit in this situation, we do not have what it takes. And if we're reliant on our own resources, we're going to get slaughtered. 
And so we're not going to run towards this thing because we don't even know how to run towards this thing. We don't even know what to do. And, and we just, we're scared to death. But we're not going to lay down either in resignation. We're just going to stand. And it literally says, all of the people are standing there. All the men are standing there. All the women are standing there. All their kids are standing there. Even the babies, the little ones, they're holding their babies. They're all just standing there with their eyes on God. And we don't know how long they stood, but here's what happened next. It says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Madaniah, a Levite and descendant of Asaph. We talked about Asaph earlier this summer. As he stood in the assembly. So the Israelites believe that sometimes in moments like this, as they're standing and waiting and watching for what God wants to do, sometimes God will speak to someone specifically. Maybe it's a prophet. Maybe it's not even a prophet, but God will speak to someone and he'll tell that person what everyone should believe or do. And that's apparently what he does with Jehaziel. So Jehaziel stands up and he says this. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Let me ask you a question. What if you knew, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that anything you faced in life, God was with you? That, that no matter what was coming your way, the big stuff, even down to the little stuff that we face every single day. What if you knew in the midst of every single moment of every day, God was actually with you? And maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, and maybe you've heard that forever, and maybe you've believed that for a long time, and maybe that's true up here in your head. We talk about that every Christmas, right? Emmanuel, God is with us, right? And so maybe that's all up here, and you know that, but the question is, do you really feel it? And do you believe it deep in here? Do you wake up every morning and walk into every difficult meeting and every difficult conversation and every difficult situation and circumstance genuinely believing God is with me in this. Or maybe you're here and, and this is all sort of new, or, or, or you believe in God, but you still got big questions about how he operates, and is he really the God of, of Jesus or the Bible, and there's questions about the Bible, and it's even strange stories like this in the Old Testament that I have questions about. What if you knew? I mean, there's time to talk about those questions and explore those questions, and that's healthy, and I have those questions too. But what if you knew that no matter what you face, even in your doubts, in all of your fears, what if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was with you in the very trenches when you feel the most alone and the most confused? What if you could be certain God 
was with you. Wouldn't that change everything? If you could face every unknown situation with Jehaziel's words, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Stand firm. And be ready to see the deliverance, the rescue, the salvation that God will bring. And don't worry. He is with you. And so before we move on, I just want you to think through, is there anything in your life right now where you're afraid? You're afraid of the outcome? You're afraid of how things are going to go? You feel alone? You feel confused? You feel like nobody is with you? Would you be willing to say, you know what? I'm not going to focus on my fear anymore. I'm just going to trust and believe that no matter how this goes down and whatever the outcome of the result is, God is with me. For King Jehoshaphat, this is how the, that truth changed him and the people. It says next, Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and then all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. And then some Levites from the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up and they praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. So nothing has changed in the situation. There's no news that the armies decided to turn around and move on. Like the armies are still, nothing has changed whatsoever in the situation. And so Jehoshaphat, after standing up, he bows down and then all the people follow him. And then all of a sudden, Anne and the band stand up and they walk over to their instruments and they just start leading worship and they start singing. And it says they sing not just with a voice, not just with a loud voice, but explicitly with a very loud voice. <laughs> and then look at what happens next. Apparently it's the next day and it says early in the morning they left for the desert of Tekoa. And as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and he said, listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. And after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. So this is his rallying cry. He stands up the next morning and they decide they're going to go out to the battlefield because God said, I'll fight the fight for you, but you still need to go out. And they start going out. And then he says the crazy thing. He says, tell you what, singers, band, why don't you guys go in front of the army? Wait, are you going to give us weapons to carry? No, just take your guitar with you, right? And the singers... And the band and the worship leaders, as the army, I mean, think about this. This is an army marching out with swords and shields and bows and arrows. They're marching to battle. And so they open the gates of Jerusalem and they're marching out to battle. And the singers and the worship leaders are in the front. They're going to be the first people to reach the battlefield. And it's almost as if Jehoshaphat is saying, We believe so much 
that God is with us and that he will save us and that he will rescue us. And we don't know how that's going to happen, but we believe so much in that that we are going to go out worshiping him and believing in him and trusting in him. And you know what happens? We don't have time to read the whole story because it's kind of long, so I'll just summarize it for you. It says that when the men of Judah got to the battlefield with the singers in front, the three different armies that were all coming against them began to turn on one another. Uh, Apparently, the people from the other armies started uh, uh, arguing over who was going to get the land once they slaughtered the people of Judah. Who was going to get the spoils of war, right? It's like the orcs arguing among themselves, right? And they're deciding, and so they start getting mad at each other, and so they start fighting against one another, and they defeat each other. And the only people that are left are the people of Judah. And the story ends by saying that when all the other nations heard about this, that there's this massive army that had gathered from these three nations to go destroy Judah, but apparently Judah's God, Yahweh, miraculously intervened, and they didn't get slaughtered. It says all the other people became afraid of the power of Judah's God. So what do we learn from all of this? Well, it's an Old Testament story. It's about battle and armies and all sorts of things. But I think we can learn a few important things from this. I think this speaks to whenever we face tough and difficult situations in our lives. And last week we talked about sometimes we're stuck in a situation and what we really need is wisdom and insight and guidance. And that's how to best get unstuck. But today I think as we read this story we realize there's other times where we're stuck in a situation and what we really need is courage in the face of fear. That whenever we face our fears, whatever those fears are, and maybe it's the fear of rejection, it's the fear of losing a job, it's the fear of never even finding another job, it's the fear of losing someone, it's the fear of commitment, it's the fear of never having enough, it's the fear of never having the family or the kids you thought you were going to have, it's the fear of never having the spouse you thought you were going to have. It's the fear of your kids growing up and being the kind of people you don't want them to be. It's all the fears that we're so scared of. When we face those kinds of fears, I think this story offers a few really simple lessons. There's three things we can do. First, we can just stand before God. We just stand before him. You don't need to run away from your fears, and you don't always have to charge forward into your fears. Sometimes you just stand, and you wait, and you watch. So we stand before God, but then the second thing is we just put our eyes on God. That's what Jehoshaphat did. We stop focusing on our fears. We stop running through all the scenarios of all the terrible things that could possibly happen and what it's going to mean. And the more we focus on those things, the worse it's going to get. And so we turn our eyes from those things, and we just focus on God, and we ask, Who are you, God? What have you done in my life? How did you save me? How have you rescued me in the past? How have you rescued the people of Israel in the past? What can I bank on? What do I know is true about you? And we just focus on God. 
You remember that story in the New Testament where Jesus has his followers and uh, there's Peter and one day they're on the lake and Jesus does this kind of strange miracle. He starts walking on water and he's like, come on, Peter, you can do it too. And Peter jumps out of the boat and he starts walking on water and then he starts looking around at the water and the waves and he starts sinking. And it's like, you took your eyes off of me. You started focusing on all of your fears. And so we can stand before God when we're facing fearful situations, but we can also turn our eyes away from our fear and turn our eyes onto God. But then last, we trust that God is with us. We just trust he's with us. We believe that. And so what is it for you today? What's the situation you're facing that you're afraid of? What's the outcome that you're scared is not going to go the way that you think it's going to go? We're going to sing a couple of more songs this morning. And so I want to ask you to do um, something. Uh, as we sing these songs, don't check out yet. Don't start thinking about leaving and what you're going to do for lunch and all the other stuff that's going to happen. Just pause during these next two songs. And we're actually going to stand as we sing them, and maybe take these moments to just stand there, to reflect on what is it that I'm afraid of right now in my life, and I haven't even admitted it to other people, but it's in there, and just focus on God. And as we sing these songs, maybe even the words of the songs become truth to you. Maybe you just listen, and maybe it's just telling yourself, how can I just trust and believe he's with me in this? And I don't know how it's going to turn out. I don't know if he's going to jump in and slaughter the enemies, you know? I don't know if it's going to go the way I think it's going to go, but I know whatever way it does go, he's with me. He's with me. Let me pray for us. God, we all know that fear um, is so paralyzing. And uh, we don't want to be paralyzed by fear. We want to find a way out. Um, and that's so hard. And for some of us, we stay awake at night. We're overwhelmed with anxiety and worry. God, for some of us, we just want to take matters into our own hands and fix it ourselves, and yet... We kind of deep down know we can't really fix this. We don't know how. We've tried and things get worse. And so I pray today that as we reflect on this story and as we sing these songs, that you would help us to find faith and you would help us to find trust in you. And that we would look no further than even your son that you sent for every single one of us. That you showed your love for us and that while we were still sinners, he came and he died for us. And he rose from the grave and he gives us new life. And in that new life, we can find trust and faith that you'll be with us no matter what we face in life. And so we pray all of this and pray that you would change us from the inside out as we think about these things. We pray this in your name. Amen.